there, it's Scary Terrace. It's Friday, March 24th. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got a lot to get to, including Georgetown's decision to fire John Thompson III and uh, Pat Kelsey's decision to return to Winthrop, uh, which could create a major contract problem for him at UMass. But first, two of our Elite Eight matchups are set. Kansas-Oregon is the Midwest Regional Final. No real surprise there. Gonzaga-Xavier is the West Regional Final. Big surprise there. Huge upset last night in San Jose. A Xavier team that uh, went 3-7 and seven in its final 10 games before the NCAA tournament uh, that lost Edmund Sumner midseason, barely had Miles Davis at all. Uh, that team upset Arizona in the Sweet 16. Final score, 73-71 Musketeers. Sean Miller goes home early again. Shouts to Samaje Christian. Shouts to Kenny Freeze. Shouts to Two Holloway. Norlander on a scale of one to zip him up. How surprised are you that Xavier is in the Elite Eight? Oh, I'm very surprised at the zip em up drop. That's, Love zip em up. I, I dig that. I'm going to go shouts to David West. Uh, shouts to Josh Duncan. How about a Josh Duncan drop? I'm really pulling deep right there. Um, listen, I wrote late on Thursday that Gonzaga versus Xavier, it's just I think it's awesome. It's so very NCAA tournament. Uh, these programs are are in the dance every year. Um, they got funky names. You pick them to go deep. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. Now they're standing on the precipice of uh, one of them is going to make their first Final Four in program history, and then obviously Mac or Few will also make their first Final Four as a head coach. Um, real quick on what we saw from those teams on Thursday night. Um, let me go. Let me go Gonzaga's game first here, GP. Um, they handled Gonzaga. I mean, they handled West Virginia halfway decently. It wasn't great, to be honest. I mean, you could make the argument that, you know, if it was a boxing fight, um, West Virginia won on points, so to speak, in boxing parlance. But a brutal final possession. And and by the way, uh, you know, Javon Carter was so good the, the whole season and for much of the game. And it really is too bad that his decisions in the final seconds were a microcosm of what we've seen in this tournament. Um, we have now hit, I think, double-digit games wherein the final possession or the uh, penultimate possession, if the final one was like you know a second to go when the winning team got the ball, is either a brutal hero ball play, a botched play, or even like like even Josh Hart's attempt to beat Wisconsin was so anticlimactic because he made a move to the hole and didn't even get a shot off. So we've had this awful run with the tournament having good games. And just we're getting blue balls, GP. We aren't getting realistic looks at buzzer beaters. Oh, wow. Um, and, a, and, a, and a lot of it's just it's just bad offense there. And Carter was just pounding the ball into the floor, took two bad shots. One of them was an air ball. He took 22, Daxter, he took 22 dibbles, dribbles on the final possession. It's insane. And then Daxter <laughs> Miles didn't even get the – he like he tried to like fling it at the last second. The clock had even expired by then. So a brutal way for West Virginia to end. And afterward, I, I – the uh, the Huggins, listen, few coaches <laughs> make you feel like they've gone through darker moments in their life than Huggins after a loss. I mean, I've, I've sat in on a few Huggins press conferences during regular season games. Like, I remember he lost against UConn like five years ago or whatever, and I had asked him some sort of question. I don't remember what I asked him. I don't remember what he said, but the look he gave me, <laughs> I felt two feet tall. Um, for Gonzaga to win the game is huge. I loved Mark Few talking about the team's toughness. 
in the on-court interview after the game because I think that is a game that Gonzaga loses most other years. When things aren't going their way, they're up against a brutally tough team. Gonzaga showed a lot of toughness. Credit to them to getting through. And then real quick on Arizona, just to kind of recap, then I'll throw it to you if you want to twist it forward. Um, I did not think Xavier would win. I didn't think Xavier would have it close in the final five minutes. I'm a little stunned that Lowry Markkinen was not getting enough touches, but he also wasn't, I don't feel like he was really searching for his shot either. Alonzo Trier got hot, but then he got some hero ball on him and he had a bad shot to end that game as well. And so Sean Miller, I mean, man, it just, it, it was set up for him to have a really good shot to get to a final four, particularly at least elite eight. It doesn't happen. Credit to Chris Mack for doing this. Trayvon Blewett, in my opinion, is the MVP of this tournament so far. He's at 75 points through three games. I don't think anyone has done more for their team and is still alive in this tournament than Blewett. That was awesome. And I thought both those games were great. I, I was I love the fact that the West gave us two really riveting watches. Yeah, it was fun. I was uh, on set for much of uh, Arizona Xavier. So, I, so like, we were watching it during commercial breaks and watching it while we were running live press conferences. But I didn't get to see it actually unfold. In fact... Like it looks up, I look up at one point because the TV, the TV, they call it a TV tree. It's like a, it's like a stand with like six TVs on it, and it sits right off set, so you can glance at it at all times. Um, you know, as long as you're not looking away from the camera while the camera's on you, whatever. So it's to my left, and at one point I look up and like Arizona's up by like seven, two minutes to go or something like that, two and a half, three minutes, I don't know. And I just assume, okay, that's it. And then I looked right. up and it was tied. And I was like, what in the world? And then you find out, you know, there's a couple of threes and Markin is not even getting touches. And I mean, what a win. I mean, you're talking about Xavier playing without two of its top three scores from last season that were supposed to be on this team that's playing right now. No, this, this isn't like you lost two guys from last year's team. No, they're supposed to be on this year's team. You know, Miles Davis, who barely played at all. And then Edmund Sumner, who uh, you know suffered a season-ending injury, I think it was back in January, and so to be able to do that, and then and so like with Oregon, you can sort of they lost Chris Boucher, but it's not like they fell apart. You know, they they, they played with Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament final. Uh, you know, they they've been playing well in this NCAA tournament. Obviously, they're in in the Elite Eight, but with Xavier, like when they suffered these in, this injury, they weren't any good anymore. They went. Three and seven in their final ten games before the NCAA tournament, lost uh, to basically everybody except DePaul. I mean, they beat DePaul. Three of those three wins, two of them are against DePaul. Like there was some thought that when they went into the Big East tournament, if they would have lost to DePaul, and, and to be clear, nobody loses to DePaul, so it wasn't even a big deal. But like, if they would have lost to DePaul, uh, like they might not have made the field. You know, they're an eleven seed, and so to be shorthanded, to be struggling in your Final 10 games, I mean, that's like a third of the season to be struggling in go heading into the NCAA tournament and then do this. I mean, it's really like one of the more, I, I, I don't think this is an overstatement, one of the more remarkable stories in recent NCAA tournament history. I mean, is that an overstatement? It seems right. Uh, it's it's up there now. If if we're going to include recent you know tournament history to include the unexpected runs to the Final Four from smaller programs, I understand that Xavier is not a mid major, hasn't been for a while. It's established itself in main consistency since it moved to the Big East in 2013. Chris Mack has done a great job, but for him to have gotten this team this far, shout out to Jeff Borzello, our buddy, who wrote a story about how Xavier keeps a jar of ashes in its locker room. And you know what? Sometimes these motivational ploys are silly, but you know what? If they work, they work. It's a cool little funky story. Uh, I recommend people go give that a read. And, yeah, they keep on winning. Bill Murray keeps on being involved in this tournament. By the way, Bill Murray, 
watched the Cubs win the World Series. Now his son coaches for Xavier, and they've made an Elite Eight run. He's having a heck of a sports year overall. It is great to see this program. I just think it's good for, for like, Gonzaga and Xavier don't have football programs. It's just kind of cool to see these schools that put so much emphasis into their basketball teams you know, have a lot of success. And that's nothing against West Virginia, and it's nothing against Arizona. And, in fact, I thought Arizona was a great sleeper pick to win it all. I thought they, they had the talent to do it. But for Xavier to make that run, they were down eight with less than four to go. They scored the game's final nine points. And, and don't get me wrong, like Alonzo Trier kind of helped him there because he got hot and then he wanted it. Like he wanted it every time, and, it, and it, that can turn on you real quick. It's it's an awesome job by Mac and that coaching staff to get there. And I just love the fact, that one, that we'll, you know, we'll get to cover either Gonzaga or Xavier in the Final Four. I think that's awesome. From a, from a media perspective, it's someone different, and I always am appreciative of, of, of that angle. And then, you know, either... <laughs> We are recording this prior to the Friday's games, obviously. But the fact is, the title game is going to have Gonzaga or Xavier. And Gonzaga getting there, by the way, would not be a surprise. It's the number one rated team in the, in the damn they're gonna, sport. They're but the favorite to get there now. Without a doubt. Like, far and away. Far and away. Like, not even close. Um, but still, it would be an unusual sight to see Gonzaga, you know, tipping off on that Monday night to win it all. But it'll be one of those teams, or it will be Florida or Wisconsin or Baylor or South Carolina. And the notion that one of those six teams even you know back in mid-November, would be playing for the national title. Uh, you could have maybe made the argument for Wisconsin GP, but it just it it's weird sometimes the way that this this puzzle breaks apart in the bracket. And um, I think it's fun and fascinating. I get if people are like, oh, man, like we're not going to get Arizona or Duke or Villanova. None of those teams are going to get there. Hey, Gonzaga rated better as than all of them, and uh, and I just think it's I think it's great. I'm I'm super psyched for it. To be clear, I'm not uh, amazed by what Xavier's doing because it's plucky Xavier that's never been to a Final Four or anything like that. I, I mean it strictly in these terms. Like if Wisconsin lost two of its top three scores, I would think it's crazy that and and went three and seven in its final ten games before the NCAA tournament. I would think it's crazy that Wisconsin's in the Elite Eight. It's got nothing yeah. to do with Xavier's history or Xavier's ability or Xavier's league affiliation. I just mean that this is a Xavier team that. Thought it was going to have Miles Davis and Edmund Sumner. Uh, those were two of the top three scores on last year's team. Sumner played part of this year, then got hurt. Davis was suspended for much of the year, came back, then left. Uh, they went 3-7 and seven, ten, uh, three and seven in their final 10 games before the NCAA tournament, and now they're in the Elite Eight. And it's not like they're in the Elite Eight because of some lucky draw. Like, they, you know, they, they're playing the, the teams that they're supposed to be playing. You know, sometimes it breaks apart for you, and you look up and you, it's like, oh, wow, this is, these are favorable matchups. I mean, what did Xavier have in the round of 32? Florida State? Right. They, that, that's who they were supposed to play. Uh, you know, that, and, and, and they ran them off the court. You're, you're supposed to be playing Arizona in the uh, Sweet 16. Didn't run them off the court, obviously, but, but win the game. I mean, this isn't some favorable draw that Xavier's taking advantage of. They're just lining up and beating um, whoever's in front of them. I think they were like 7.5-point underdog to Florida State, 8-point underdog to Arizona, and now they're a— uh, I think an eight and a half or nine point underdog to Gonzaga. And so, yes, I'm picking Gonzaga. But if you're Chris Mack, you're in a really good spot here because you can just look at your your players in your locker room and say, hey, listen, we don't have to do anything that we haven't already done twice in the past week. You know, we just, we, yes, we're playing a team that's that's been better than us this year. We're playing a team that's not as shorthanded as we are. We beat one of those last weekend. We beat another one Thursday night. So, like, what is the big deal about going and trying to do it again? Uh, I'll pick Gonzaga. I was going to pick Gonzaga over Arizona. I had Gonzaga going to the Final Four from the very beginning. 
Um, but I'm with you. Like to me, this is a, a fabulous matchup because no matter what happens, it's an amazing storyline. It is either Chris Mack with a shorthanded team going to the Final Four, taking his alma mater to the Final Four for the for the first time. I mean, that's 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 great stuff. Or it's or it's Gonzaga going to the Final Four for the first time with Mark Few with anybody, but including Mark Few, and that's awesome stuff too. Like I, I can't wait for this one on Saturday because I don't care. Um, like it's a great story no matter who wins it. Yeah, it is. Um, let's curl uh, real quick to Midwest. Um, can't while while in my opinion Trayvon Blewett has been the best player and most valuable player to this point in the tournament. Kansas has been the best team. Clearly. Um, they, well, yeah, there's no doubt because they looked be- like don't get me wrong like one should kill 16s but they looked best in their one versus 16 game. They separated themselves in an entertaining and the way they beat Michigan State was really impressive. They got it was a, it was an interesting game like they got pushed but then they. They just they kicked Michigan State out the window. And then again, Purdue gets lead early. Kansas finishes the game like on a 73-33 run. They're absolutely rolling. They're the first team since UConn. Credit to CBS uh, researchers who got passed us along to Harlan on the broadcast on Thursday night. I can't believe this. I thought that someone would have done this since. But the last time a team scored 90 points at least in its first three tournament games was UConn in 95. Incredible. Um, and they've done that each and every time. They'll have a decent chance to do it again against Oregon. Um Credit to Purdue for making an uh, making it an interesting game to start. They got out really hot, but then I mean Kansas when it was it's just when it's rolling, it's rolling. And I'm as high on my pick for them to win the title. I picked it in October. I stuck with it the whole year. They're looking really good right now. I cannot see them losing against an Oregon team, GP. That let's be honest. I mean, listen, it, it deserved to win, but uh, but Jordan Bell came up absolutely massive, and it speaks to Oregon's overall talent that when Chris Boucher was on the floor, Jordan Bell was the team's fourth best player, but he was absolutely pivotal to getting past Michigan, and they could very easily not even be in this position. Derek Walton just mer- barely misses. His shot was actually fairly good, I got thought. got a good look. He got a good look. He, he, he got a very good look, and a lot of times we haven't had good looks in this tournament. He got a good look. It just didn't fall. Even Tyler Dorsey said on the in the interview afterward that they essentially know we could very easily not be here. We got lucky. He missed a shot. Michigan story is awesome, but Oregon moves on. Back-to-back Elite Eights. That hasn't ever happened in school history. Oregon hasn't even made the Final Four since it won the very first NCAA tournament in 1939, so some interesting things there. Um, I think Kansas wins. Uh, give me your thoughts on that. And listen, a lot of people hit us up, and we should discuss this. I'm not going to say one game decides it, but I will say if Kansas makes the Final Four and Mason has a fairly solid game, I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to lobby for him to be our National Player of the Year. Not that Swanigan doesn't deserve it, but if it's that close, and we're deciding after all. You know, the regional finals are done. Where do you stand now as someone who had Swanigan atop the player of the year rankings for most of the past five weeks? Yeah, I, I mentioned this last night on, on television after the because uh, we carried the Bill Self, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham press conference live. And so afterward, we react. And, and I mentioned this exactly. You know, one of the storylines going into to Kansas Purdue was that we had two of the, uh, I think, two of the top three national player of the year candidates on the same court. The other, of course, being, uh, at least in my mind, UCLA's Lonzo Ball. And I noted that I have been on Swanigan for months. I've thought that he was the college basketball player having the best season um, for a nationally relevant team. Uh, you know, it's not like Purdue was operating outside of the top 25. It's top 20 team, outright Big Ten champions. Um, when you when you put up the number Swanigan was putting up for a team that accomplishes those types of things, I think you're 
National Player of the Year type stuff. Um, I noted that I'm stubborn. Uh, but I'm not stubborn to the point of, of being stupid. And if I had to vote right now, I would vote Frank Mason, I think. Uh, he was. It wasn't just because Kansas beat Purdue last night. And it wasn't just because Swanigan wasn't great. He wasn't great. He had 18-7, and seven, but he wasn't great. Um, it, like Kansas pounded Purdue last night, and, and Frank was a massive reason for that. He had 26 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. And that's great stuff. And so... I'm not ruling out. Like, let's just let's wait. You know, like, we're going to wait, so let's just wait it out. Like, what if Lonzo goes bananas tonight, dominates De'Aaron Fox, and then goes bananas on Sunday and dominates uh, Joe Barry and UCLA after having more losses than wins last season in the Final Four? Like, then let's have a conversation about that. Okay, yeah, fair. Yeah, but, but right now, if I had to vote, Kansas fans, take note, I would vote for Frank Mason right now. He would, he's been – and uh, let me be clear – I've never said, how could you vote for Frank Mason? Or, Frank Mason, are you serious? I've always said, yes, I can perfectly understand how you'd vote for Frank Mason. I would vote for Caleb Swanigan. I don't think you're crazy for voting for Frank Mason. I don't understand why you think I'm crazy for voting for Caleb Swanigan. But I never thought it was like, it's got to be Swanigan and the rest of you guys are idiots. Um, I, Frank was has always been a legitimate candidate and reasonable choice. Now I think he is the choice. Um, and, and it's not all based on last night. But I think last night needs to be taken into consideration. They won by 32 points. He went 26-7-7. He's on the verge of, of, of leading that team to a Final Four. That is National Player of the Year stuff. He was awesome. He was awesome. I'm going to give ESPN Stats and Info credit on a stat that I saw. Um, where was it? Uh, they tweeted it out. Because his, his stat line, here we go. He was the sixth player to have 25-7-7 seven and seven in a tournament game since assists were, started, were tracked beginning in 1984. And by the way, that's always bothered me. Like, the NCAA didn't start tracking assists prior to 1984. That's so, that's so random. I can't believe they were so late to the game. But it's it's remarkable that uh, one that there's only been six players over the past you know almost uh, thir- or more than 30 years here, uh, 33 years that have done that. And he just he looked great. Jackson looked great. Evicted a 360 dunk in the middle of a game. It wasn't even a blowout. He like drops his 360 out of nowhere. Devonte Graham looked good late. Um, they're looking fantastic. Thought it was a really nice uh, Thursday Sweet 16 evening. We were, we had opportunities for buzzer beaters, didn't get them. Uh, have we still not now, had a buzzer beater? We haven't. We have no, we haven't. And I, re- I wrote about this like two or three years ago. We actually don't get one every single year, which which is why we make like last year we got lucky. We got a few of them, but it makes them all the more special and the better because there are many years. Where like we did, I think the reason why I wrote this maybe three or four years ago is we had gone like three straight years, I think, or maybe even four years in a row without a buzzer beater in the tournament. Like ball in the air, time expires, ball goes in to to either tie or win a game. Um, so it's not a guarantee. Now hopefully we'll get one before it's out. But even despite that, I think it has been a pretty uh, enjoyable tournament. But we've had a lot of what we got on Thursday. We've had a lot of games that were interesting to watch, fun, competitive, tense tight maybe some late runs but that final possession just has not it hasn't materialized if you're it wasn't a buzzer beater but if you're talking about shot of the tournament so far hey i would say hayes right what do you think jordan matthews in transition oh okay you know what that's probably that's probably the right call dude that was such a great sequence i think that yeah i I mean you know like so we were on set last night and danny granger um said you know i think west Virginia lost this game more than gonzaga won it and I was like, I, you know, like I hear you, I guess, because that final possession that West Virginia and, and 
uh, Javon Carter was like terrible. So like I hear you, but like let's understand what happened in the final, you know, seventy seconds of that game. West Virginia was ahead with the ball, and ahead with the ball in the paint. All right, ahead with the ball in the paint, seventy seconds to go. Gonzaga gets a block, gets out in transition, gets it to Jordan Matthews, defender closing out. It's unclear that it's the best option is to pull right then. He pulls anyway, knocks it down. I mean, just I mean, just a big time shot from one end of the court to the other. Bam, bam, bam! Like that. I mean, that was great sequence. Chris Webber started clapping on the air. Did you? Hear I'm that? loving. For, I, I know. I first of all, and then he had a great call. You can hear like, Weber like this. Like, yeah, you can I hear Weber into the mic. Clapping. I'm loving Weber on the mic. To be honest, he's I, really I love his. He's really good. He's in, his enthusiasm, I mean, there was a great block about 10 minutes earlier in that game, JP, and Weber was just like, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. These are the best athletes in the world, not in the NBA, which is which is true. Uh, he was just so into it, and, like, he was pumped. I was – I think I woke up my son because I was so jacked off that uh, Whoa, that meet you were what? I was, so, I was so jacked off that meet at the 10. What were you doing? I was jacked up. I thought you said something else. Not quite, JP. I thought, uh, I, I thought you were suggesting that you pleasured yourself to Jordan Matthews' transition three-pointer. Did you? Uh, did you? If you did, admit I, to it. I did not. No, I did not. But I, but then, yeah, the rhythm of that sequence was fantastic. I think you're right. It was uh, it was terrific. That and Nigel Hayes' winner against Nova are the two biggest shots, I think, of this tournament so far. But, uh, but yeah, Saturday should be good, and then we'll see what Sunday brings us. All right, Saturday, let's look ahead to those games specifically, make some picks on them. Gonzaga, Xavier, 6.09 Eastern. That's on TBS. It is not the network of stars, but it is the home of, of Conan O'Brien and Samantha B. so that's pretty good. I mean, if you can't be the network of stars, that's a pretty good thing to be. Um, I mean, I'm just I'm taking Gonzaga. I would have taken Gonzaga against anybody because I had Gonzaga going to the Final Four. Um, like, unbelievable that... You know, Chris Mack's got this team in this position. Uh, I think Gonzaga is going to win the game. I will. I will pick against Xavier for the third game in a row. I did have Xavier beating Maryland, but I had them losing convincingly to Florida State. Oh, by the I way, I picked against Xavier every game. Yeah, <laughs> I've had them. I've had them losing in the round of sixty-four, round of thirty-two, and Sweet Sixteen. And it's not just that, but like I had them. I thought Florida State would win by double digits. I thought Arizona would win by double digits. I don't think Gonzaga will win by double digits. I think that. I got a feeling that this can be a pretty close, pretty interesting game. Undeniably, Gonzaga is a better team. I, you cannot make the case otherwise. Now, that doesn't mean that Xavier can't win because with the way that it played against Arizona, if it was able to do that and if Gonzaga had a, a little case of the lulls after the West Virginia win, uh, maybe anything's possible. But give me Gonzaga to win, make its first Final Four, and, uh, and what an awesome thing that would be for that program. I'll say Gonzaga... I'll say 78-73. Yeah, I think I'll say Gonzaga with a 10-point win. Gonzaga wins the game. Gonzaga covers the number. Uh, the nightcap going to be Kansas-Oregon. Uh, that is in Kansas City. It's an 849 Eastern tip, also on TBS. Not the network of stars. It is not America's most watched network, but it is the home of, of Conan and Samantha B. Um, listen, uh, Kansas just won by 32 points in Kansas City. They're playing again in Kansas City. Like, you know what? If I got to be wrong about something, it's going to be uh, Kansas winning in Kansas City. But there's just no scenario under which I'm picking against them in Kansas City, 39 miles uh, from their campus. I like I like Oregon to play well and make this game interesting. I have Kansas uh, 
definitively here, though. Like almost like Oregon's just two steps behind much of the second half, but it's an interesting watch, and you want to stick around and, and keep an eye on it. Uh, Kansas 88, Oregon 83, something like that. Um, good watch, but I, I, but you won't get the sense that the game will be uh, in doubt in the closing minutes. I'm very interested to see Josh Jackson versus Dylan Brooks. They are extremely competitive guys. Um, both are probably going to want the ball, although, you know, Tyler Dorsey's come on so big for Oregon. I'm interested to see if, if Dylan Brooks is like, give me the damn ball because I'm going to try and win us this thing. Um, love that those two are going up against each other. Dorsey's been the one that's better. Dylan Brooks hasn't been playing that well. I know, I know. And Brooks actually missed a uh, he missed a, a layup near the end of that game on Thursday uh, that would have provided Oregon a better cushion. But uh, but I agree. But, yeah, we both got Kansas definitively there. Yeah, I just think those Kansas guards are too good right now. I mean, uh, we, we talked a lot about Frank Mason. Like, Devontae Graham got 26 last night, too. I mean, they combined for 52 points. It's like it's like Bill Self somehow cloned Devin Downey and made two of them and put them in Kansas uniform. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry Teagle. I just think Kansas is too strong right now. Kansas over Oregon. Gonzaga over uh, Xavier. Um we obviously will talk about uh, the other side of the bracket, the right side, if you will, in our next podcast that will be recorded, I'm assuming, on a Sunday night because I will be home Sunday. I believe I'm going to be home in time to go to FedEx Forum on Sunday afternoon uh, for the South Regional Final. That will be between the winner of Butler, North Carolina, and the winner of uh, Kentucky, UCLA. We are recording this on Friday afternoon, and so we don't know who's going to win those games tonight yet. Uh, but I imagine we will speak again on this podcast on a Sunday evening, and we will have the final four set. So we'll look back that everything ha- everything that happens between now and then, uh, we'll look back uh, at during that podcast. For now, though, let's switch uh, to some coaching carousel news. Georgetown pulled the trigger on John Thompson the third. Not surprising because when you look at what that Georgetown program is historically, and look at what that Georgetown program is now. Missed three of the past four NCAA tournaments. Finished next to last in the Big East this year. Just lost a key recruit. Just lost a key player. Wasn't going to be any better next year. It's time to go. Only thing that makes it a little surprising is that um, it's been known in basketball circles for a while. Like It's going to be a very difficult thing to pull the trigger on Big John's kid. And that is what JT3 is. He is he's Big John's son. And Big John is still a massive presence, both figuratively and literally, uh, around that campus, on that campus in that building and so you know there was some thought that like maybe you just got to let him run it straight into the ground completely before you can justify to big john that it's time to make a move ultimately the georgetown's administration decided we're not going to wait any longer it's been 13 years the past three of the past four haven't been good the 14th doesn't look like it will be we're going to move on so yesterday early uh, they pulled the trigger on john thompson the third i think it was the right move and now the question becomes, what do they do next? Because, I don't know, you tell me if you disagree. I think that Georgetown job could be awesome for the right guy. I mean, huge Nike affiliation, nation's capital, incredible history, great natural recruiting base. Like, if you get the right guy, like, that, to me, that's the type of job that if I were one of these big timers, uh, the first thing I'd want to know is, like, all right, do I have to deal with Big John? How much is he around? What's the, what are the dynamics of the what are the dynamics of being the head coach at Georgetown? Because basically, for four decades, the head coach at Georgetown has not been anybody other than uh, a Thompson or somebody closely connected to a Thompson. So, like, what are the dynamics of being the Georgetown head coach? Let's let's look into that a little bit. But if I felt comfortable with it, that's the type of job that if I'm one of these 
rising stars, one of these established winners, I'd take a look at it if they're willing to put money on the table. Yes. Georgetown's future, I do not know what, what it entails. Um, is it going to be St. John's in terms of was really good for a 15-year period and then in the modern era just for, with, uh, for a number of reasons? I don't reasons, think so. I think Georgetown's a different level. I, I, I lean that way, GP, but I got to see. I got. I just. I have to see. Um, the Big John's presence is something that's interesting. Patrick Ewing could be the the front runner here, um, and if he is higher, that's more of the Thompson era. And I think it's a hire that many would applaud. Some would be skeptical of, just because Ewing's never run a college program. He's been paying his dues at the NBA level for a long, long time, and has wanted an NBA head coaching job for a long, long time. So does he want to take on the college thing if, in fact, it's open to him? Um, other guys like Tommy Amaker, Danny Hurley. I even had someone suggest to me, say, don't be shocked. And I would be shocked. Don't be shocked if, like, Shaka Smart's name starts to get prominently involved there. If I'm Shaka, I'm not leaving Texas to go to Georgetown. I'm sorry. That's not something that should be on the table. Um, but I, I don't know what's coming next. They made the right move. Um, this program is at a very low point, one of the lowest points that it's ever been at. It almost never has had back-to-back losing seasons. That certainly never happened in the modern era of Georgetown basketball. Um, Ewing would be fun. It would be something to have Mullen coaching St. John's and Ewing coaching Georgetown in the Big in the Big East. Um, that would be kind of kind of cool, to be honest with you. Um, but I don't know if he's definitely the right guy for it. It is super intriguing. And my takeaway, like when I first heard it, was wow. You know, if you get enough fans to really pressure an administration and there's enough momentum there, because I did not think he was going to get fired, Parrish. If we had talked 20, you know, 24 hours ago, there's no question that some of the stuff that's happened since that season ended contributed to this without a doubt. But I like I didn't. And I I applaud Georgetown for making this move um, because, you know what? I don't think they wanted to do it. I think they just knew that they had to do it. Um, And when you're losing all these players to transfer, it just you got to make the move. So credit to them for doing the right thing because this is going to be the better thing for the program. I I can't make a prediction. I would say that I would be intrigued if, if Ewing took it. I, I would find that to be a, a very cool, interesting story for college basketball. I'm not sure that he would succeed, but I I wouldn't doubt him. I, I just, do you want to continue the Thompson era? Because if you do, right. then you bring Ewing. Here's, but here's, do you want to go totally fresh and go someone else? That's something you got to take a long, long look at. Here's what I would say. Um, I would totally detach from thinking in terms of the Thompson era. Like, to me, that wouldn't matter anymore because the Thompson's already pissed at you. So why try to, like, well, maybe we can uh, you know, alleviate some of those issues if we hire one of their guys. Like, what is the point? All right? So I would evaluate Patrick Ewing independent of the Thompson era. I would, I would sit down with Pat, and I would sit down with Pat. I mean, he's obviously um, respected to some level in the, in the NBA. He's been working in that league for a long time. He's an associate head coach. Um, why has he never gotten an opportunity? Does that say more about owners than it does him? I, I don't know. I don't know the, the answer to that. Uh, to be a head coach, why has he never gotten that opportunity? But I'd sit down with him. I, I think you owe it to yourself and probably to him if he wants to, just, just out of respect, to sit down with him. You know, just like Memphis sat down with Penny Hardaway last year. Like, if, you know, Penny was interested in that opportunity, and, and if Penny Hardaway wants to sit down with you, you owe him that. I, I think if Pat Ewing is interested in sitting down with you, you owe him that. So sit down with him. And if he blew me away, then I, I got no hesitation going in that direction. Like a whole bunch of guys, not a whole bunch, but there are examples of guys who had never 
spent time in college basketball who have done okay in college basketball. Fred Hoiberg's the, the biggest and brightest. Uh, Avery Johnson, I think you can reasonably say, is that right now. So if Pat Ewing blew me away, yeah, I'd hire Pat Ewing. But I would not hire Pat Ewing if I considered him to be an inferior candidate just because he was, you know, he just because he's my mo- most famous basketball alum. Or, or certainly one of them. I guess you could make the argument for Iverson, but you you get the point. I think it's Ewing, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, I think I mean, he's just he's the most important person in the history from, of the program, not named John Thompson. I mean, from my just, from my childhood, it's Pat Ewing. I mean, like you know, like he was a. You have to understand when I grew up in the Memphis area, and you know Memphis was awesome in those same years. You know, Memphis was at the '85 Final Four with Georgetown. You know, the, if I remember correctly, and I might not because I was only like seven, eight years old, but it was like. Ooh, we're headed toward Keith Lee versus Pat Ewing. Keith Lee versus Pat Ewing. And then it, you know, it didn't it didn't work out that way because of Villanova. But either way, Pat Ewing, as odd as this might sound, is a massive figure from my childhood because Memphis and Georgetown were Memphis State at the time were two of the biggest college basketball pro were like two of the most successful college basketball programs in that era in those years, and they both had incredibly dominant like big man. Everybody remembers Patrick Ewing because he went on to be with the Knicks. Most people don't remember Keith Lee because he was injured and, and didn't have a long or prominent um, or relevant NBA career. But he was a three-time All-American. Keith Lee was. Or maybe a four-time All-American. He was an awesome college basketball player. So it was always Keith Lee, Patrick Ewing, Keith Lee, Patrick Ewing. So for my childhood, Pat Ewing's the guy at Georgetown. Um, and I would consider him, but I would not hire him if I didn't think he was the best candidate. And I, I would not hire him just because he brings back that. But if he was the best candidate, absolutely it would not concern me that he's never been in college basketball. Other names that have come up, I'll tell you, if I were Shaka and they were willing to pay. I, I don't. I don't I, 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 look, I'm not. You do it? Oh, well, like, let's talk about the money. What if seven years, $28 million, $4 million a year. I would do it if I were Shaka then. Get back to a part of the country where you've already been successful. You're living in the nation's capital. I think that's got to, you know, knowing Shaka and knowing his wife, I think that's got to be attractive to them on some level, um, you know. But the, I know, I know. I just and yeah. and then and then you've got strong Nike affiliation, Jordan Brown brand stuff, I believe. You've um, got all the history in the world, and like let's remember this Texas thing ain't going so well right now. He he was hired by a man who no longer works there. He just lost like uh, I think 19 games this year, and I think he's going to be fine. Like got a recruiting class coming, and I think they're going to be fine. But, like, what if they're bad again next year? Then he goes into year four with some real job pressure on him. If, if Georgetown wanted to put $4 million a year on the table for seven years, if I – and so now I, I get I, – like, whatever the Texas job is in the Big 12, it's, it's not Kansas, so there's no way it's the best job. And there's so many dynamic programs in that league. Baylor's operating at a high level. Oklahoma's about to jump back to a, to a high level. Iowa State is what it is. Um, you know, West Virginia is what it is. You know, you go to the Big East, you might have the best job in the league. Uh, who who overwhelms you there? I mean, Villanova's very good. Uh, Xavier's very good. Creighton's very good. Uh, Providence is consistently good. But who overwhelms you? Oh, I could talk myself into it real quickly if I was Shaka. If they put the money on the table. I don't know if yeah. they will, and I don't want to speak for him. But could I could I talk? If jo- if I were sitting in the, in the like, I, I, I guess Paul Tagliabue is, is running the search for Georgetown. Whether that makes sense or not, I don't know, but that's the report. If I were sitting in a room with Paul Tagliabue and he told me, oh, yeah, money's not an option here. Like Fred Glass at Indiana said, money's not a, not a, money doesn't matter. We'll get who we want. Money will not be a, uh, a hurdle. We'll pay what we got to pay. Like if Paul Tagliabue told me that about Georgetown, he said, listen, Gary, 
we got we need thirty million dollars to hire our next coach. We got thirty million dollars to hire our next coach. I'd say go stack it in front of Shaka Smart and make him tell you no. Hundred percent, I would do that. And if I was Shaka, I would take a long look at it. The more reasonable names, probably Tommy Amaker. Does it bother anybody at all that Tommy Amaker just flamed out at Michigan? <laughs> Why doesn't that ever matter? Like everybody wants to hire Tommy Amaker, and like he's been, I guess, good at, at Harvard. Surely good at Harvard. But like, Definitely. does that does that not matter? It's like it's like it, it's like it just does. Like it's like I, was, yes, I don't have the record up in front of me. It was also at Seton Hall too. Um, solid there, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I could see Tommy Amaker working, to be honest. Oh, I um, could see him working there too. I'm not saying like you can't hire Tommy Amaker. It would be a disaster. But it's almost like we remember. Like there's like three things we uh, people focus on about Tommy Amaker. One is that uh, he you know Duke. Uh, two is he took Seton Hall to a to a Sweet Sixteen. And three is he took Harvard to four straight NCAA tournaments. But like he was the head coach at Michigan for six years, never, I mean, only finished above five hundred in the league once. Never made the NCAA tournament. Like he's had one opportunity to run a big time program like Georgetown, and he did not run it well. Now he left that job a decade ago, so it'd be foolish for me or anybody else to suggest you can't learn in the past ten years. You can't get better in the past ten years. I agree with you. I think he'd be perfectly fine at Georgetown. But it's almost like people never, ever bring that up. Like, he spent six years of his career, uh, you know, not not succeeding at a Big Ten program. And it just doesn't it doesn't seem to matter when people talk about him as a, as a candidate. Uh, but all that said, I think he would probably be perfectly fine at Georgetown. Dan Hurley, I think, would be interesting. Um, he's, he's very yeah. – he's a respected college basketball coach. Obviously, has rebuilt Rhode Island. Um, I'd, I'd pay attention to him as well. So there's going to be some good candidates there. Uh, but that Georgetown job, I think, now ranks right behind the Indiana job as best jobs that are available. Last thing before we get out of here, the Winthrop job just must be a hard job to leave, huh? I mean, I, I believe this is the first time in a decade that we've had this situation because Dana Altman and Billy Donovan both did this in 2007. Craig Marshall did it. I think he kind of flirted with it. No, he did uh, it. He went to Charleston. Charleston, right? Yeah. No, so like that. Uh, that's two Winthrop coaches who took jobs and said, "You know what? I got to go back to Winthrop." I don't get it. And Winthrop is the girl who's impossible to break up with. And like, listen, exactly. Uh, I got to get down there. I got to see what Winthrop's all we gotta about. We got to go down there and see, like, what, like Winthrop, like Winthrop. Maybe, like, we must, might never leave. No, yeah, I'll be down there. Never... I'll go to Winthrop and then I'll call Kelly. I'll be like, "Baby, I, I love you and, and the kids," but like. This Winthrop thing is something else. Greg Marshall had a hard time leaving it. Pat Kelsey can't leave it. I see what they're seeing. What if I left my wife for Winthrop? Oh, boy. Yeah, let's not even go down that road, I guess. Um, No, seriously, though, that's way bizarre. But if Kelsey's – listen, it's better than doing the presser. And let's let's paint a clear picture here. You had people assembled and assembling into the press conference area – at UMass, awaiting for Kelsey, like 15, 20, 25 minutes from then, to have his introductory press conference as UMass's head coach, as a last-second change of heart. I'm sure we'll get more clarity on that in the weeks and months to come, as you know, he's you know wants to share whatever he wants to share in regard. I, I can tell you something that I've been told is that okay. when he got there, and this has been the this this was the gist of the Dana Altman thing too. By the way, if you ever want to see the funniest thing in the world. Go find oh, the YouTube clip of Dana yeah. Altman at the Arkansas press conference. Uh, Call yeah. it calling the Hogs, dude. There's nothing funnier than Dana Altman calling the Hogs. Please go find that. 
it was funny. It was funny why you still thought he was going to be the Arkansas coach. Like, can you imagine? Like, you just been you've been you know rolling along at Creighton, then you take the uh, Arkansas job. Now you're in the South. I mean, you are you're in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you got a bunch of old white men going ooh pig. Sitting like Dana Almond is like, what have I gotten myself into? There are old white men calling hogs in this building. This is bananas. <laughs> like, what? This is crazy. Like, dudes got hog heads on their head, inside. Like, not even at a game. Just like walking around the building with hog heads on their head. Talking about well, there pig- weren't hog heads in Massachusetts. So what was the difference then? Okay. So, oh, but here's the thing. So Dana Almond, beyond everything I just said about the pig suey stuff, which is so funny to me, um, he got there and like found out oh wow they got some they got a lot of stuff going on here like academic problems um don't quote me on this but like maybe some drug stuff maybe some just like it was in bad shape right like it wasn't what he thought it was he's like i gotta get out of here if i can get out of here um similarly uh i i I was told that pat got to umass and realized maybe the roster that he thought he was gonna have for next year ain't gonna be the roster that he was actually gonna have for next year like maybe some pieces that are supposed to be there might be going yeah. on the way out. And it was like, oh, whoa, part of the reason I took this job is because I thought that I was going to be inheriting this piece and that piece and that piece. Now I, I might not. Like, uh, let's back up. But isn't he the same guy who, like, quit the profession a few years ago too? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, he might just have a hard time making decisions, right? It could just be as simple as that. But either way, I don't know if you saw this. And I know you wrote about this. You probably did see this. I apologize. I just – I. I, we were, we're all busy. Um, he, I believe, actually signed something. Like it, it's not one of those things. Like he agreed. Right. Like, and the buyout is a million bucks. And the UMass athletic director, who's just been through the ringer, because I tweeted this last night. I don't know if you saw it. Do you realize on Monday night they were prepared to to offer the job to Mike Rhodes? UMass was. Crazy. Okay. And then and and like I don't know if Mike would have taken it. I suspect he, it would have been like 50-50, maybe even 40-60. But like they were that's the direction they were headed. Like I I I can't confirm this 100%, but like there was somebody who told me the UMass AD was actually in Houston on Monday night. Like prepared to do get try to get that done. Hmm. Then of course, uh, Will Wade takes LSU, VCU opens, Mike knows just like all of us knew that he's going to be the guy at VCU. So like he he's not even taking Rice's. I mean, he's not even taking UMass's calls anymore. By the way, I was told that's true. Like, like the UMass AD got to the point he couldn't get Mike on the phone. All right, so then like they shuffle back to to UMass and like, okay, fine, let's just let's just get Pat Kelsey and be done with it. Get Pat Kelsey. And now here we are. Here we are with this. But if I'm the UMass AD, I am furious. And if you got a one million dollar buyout, he suggested last night in a statement that that is an issue. Like we have a one million dollar buyout, and that's something we're going to have to work through. Here's my question for you: Do you hold him to it? Do you say, dude, you? Because think of it the other way. We always we always want to be understanding when it is the coach who bells on the university. What if this happened? What if UMass signed Pat Kelsey and then Mike Rhodes called the AD and said, hey, I know that I, you thought I wasn't interested and that I was going to VCU, and I know you've already given the job to Pat Kelsey. I'm just telling you I'd love to take the job if you can get it to me somehow. And then UMass said, hey, Pat, we know you, we, we, you committed to us and we signed you to something, but we're going to go in another direction. There's no way Pat Kelsey would say you can go in another direction. Pat Kelsey would say, dude, you, I signed this contract that you put in front of me. You owe me this money. Give me this money. Buy me out of the contract and you can, you can go hire Mike Rhodes if you want to. But we have an yeah. agreement. So what is so wrong about UMass holding him to the agreement? Like if I'm the UMass AD, 
after you just embarrass me because that is what's happened here. The UMSC yes. these bit. you. This is a disaster. If you you, 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 you just embarrass me, there's a part of me that would say, "Hey man, you owe me a million dollars. Figure it out, or we'll see you in court." Yeah, that, you, there have been uh, occasionally over the years. Every now and then, and I'm blanking on it. It was someone in the, I think it was someone in the valley that had had it that was like suing over contract stuff and disputes when had gone from one job to the next. Um, would be ugly. I would not fault UMass though. Nope. Not if you signed. And and listen, I, these things can happen fast, and coaching changes can often be messy. But, uh, yeah, there could be some more fallout from that. It'll be interesting. But uh, And then, you know, I, we'll, we'll see what happens, man, because this is also going to be interesting. Like, if you think you can be good at Winthrop, and this is still going to be a, a situation where you can eventually leave to a job that you're going to have full confidence in, that's fine. But, um what you mentioned with Kelsey, who has a fairly good reputation, don't get me wrong, but you have now had you now have a guy that you know decided coaching wasn't for him, left the profession, then came back to it, has had success at Winthrop, but now with this as well, just from the outside looking in, it will present the inevitable situation where if if Winthrop does win again, an athletic director will strongly uh, consider other candidates bumped up against Kelsey merely because he has multiple uh, spots on his resume where you would just you would need to have longer discussions to make sure that he was going to be the guy. That's all. What if you left your wife for Winthrop? What if I left my wife for Winthrop? Well, I'd only do it if you'd go down there with me. Um, and I might. And we could build a life together. I might. <laughs> be in Devin Downey's home state. Woo! And <laughs> Winthrop ain't far from Chester, South Carolina. Google it. It ain't far. I, I Wait, don't if, doubt it. What if we, you and I left our wives for, for Winthrop? But we decided we would live in Chester, South Carolina. Build a home there and raise a family there. A little Devin Downies. Two or three little Devin Downies running around the house. Yes, yes. And then we enrolled them at Winthrop and turned Winthrop into a national championship contender. And then just invited Terry Teagle over for no reason other than just to have him there. We would have, here's what we would do. We'd actually have an annual invitational. We would have Winthrop, obviously. obviously. We'd have South Carolina, obviously. Sure. We'd have Baylor there. And we would have Cincinnati for its Devin Downey ties, so we'd have a we'd have a four-team doubleheader rotating annual cycle, and it would be the uh, the Devin Downey Invitational. I'm about to text my sponsored wife. by Win sponsored by Winthrop and brought to you by Terry Teagle. I'm about to text my wife and tell her it's over. Like I'm sorry, I shouldn't have had all these kids with her if I was going to leave her for Winthrop. But it's but like if Greg Marshall had a hard time leaving Winthrop and Pat Kelsey can't leave Winthrop, that I think that says something about Winthrop. There's something going on down there. There's I'm, something I'm, going on I'm down there. I'm too tempted already. <laughs> uh, you headed to the garden soon? Yeah, I'm gonna head out here this afternoon. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the Terry Teagle, Devin Downey. Woo! I can't wait for that. An epic. It would be uh, it would be tremendous. But hopefully, we get uh, some decent games there. And yeah, we'll talk Sunday night. I'm gonna obviously be at the garden on Sunday as well. But I'll be able to get back. Those games are like what? Like it's an afternoon and and a it's late afternoon, afternoon. And late afternoon. And I think I'm going to FedEx Forum on Sunday, assuming it's the late game. I like that's my plan is to. And so it, it, it'll be late Sunday. But uh, yeah, let's plan on talking one way or another on Sunday night. Sounds good, bud. Enjoy the garden and uh, remember, uh, you guys, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you uh, for listening. And we're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.